Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to another riveting episode of Without a Country. I am Corinne Fisher. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Uh, I am back from L.A. and damn, am I happy to be back. See, we ha- I-, I was uh, really confused by a great trip to L.A. that I had back in November. And then I got it in my head that every trip to L.A. would be of equal or higher value and that was incorrect honestly professionally a wonderful trip the shows at the comedy store were great uh we did another show at the hollywood improv uh i love i love 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 the comedy clubs in la i love the comedy store i love the hollywood improv i love the laugh factory i love them all they're three of my favorite clubs in the entire country in the entire world, I'm going to say, actually, um, you know, uh, women booked the, the improv and the store booked by women, women who support women. I fucking love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. But there is something in the water out there that you're, you're, the behavior is so strange. By the final day in L.A., by Saturday, I was like, I we did one podcast and then I, and then we just both went back to our Airbnb and I think slept until the flight so that we didn't have to spend any more awake time in Los Angeles. I don't know what the hell is going on there. And also, you got to stop with the fake dinner plans. It's the weirdest pastime that has it doesn't happen anywhere else that I've ever been on the planet the just the excess of fake plans and I'm not talking about plans that you get busy and cancel I'm talking about plans made with an enthusiasm as if it is going to be the best day of your life that one has no intention of even setting a date or a time for such plans I don't you don't need to make a fake dinner plan with me believe me there is no one on earth less interested in getting dinner with you than me I am I am not flattered by the invitation it is an inconvenience to me and please know that to even be invited to dinner 
anytime I say yes to something like that, uh, it is I'm doing it as an as an act of kindness. That's my mitzvah for the day is eating with someone else. My preferred way to eat 100% of the time is naked on my couch watching the Food Network with my dog next to me begging for food because that's a bad habit he learned during COVID and I didn't even try to undo it because what because I would eat a kernel of popcorn and then Alfie would eat a kernel of popcorn and you know what that's why my COVID rocked okay so now my dog begs and I'm not trying to correct it I don't give a shit I do not give a shit uh just just think of my dog as all every Gen Zer who for some reason has their Venmo handle in their bio on social media even though they have nothing to offer the world they have not offered the world anything yet and they are asking for payment for existing that's what my dog is doing and I think he's brought a lot more joy to a lot people a lot more people's lives anyway good to be back the minute that I hear the honking horns of the cabs and someone saying get the fuck out of the way at JFK I say it's good to be home it's good to be on my turf um all right uh let's get right into the show uh again thank you so much to everyone who's been coming out to live shows I know I keep uh teasing this tour uh but that's because I want to make a really beautiful big announcement with nice tour uh art and everything and that's currently being worked on um and also I need to make sure all the ticket links are clickable because I know if I announce a city and the tickets aren't immediately clickable I'm gonna get I'm gonna have a lot of dms so just listen sometimes the reason that I behave in the way I behave is a direct reaction to how you guys have behaved over the years okay so know that we are all connected we are all connected um I'm looking for something in my inbox oh I know what I was looking for I was looking to open this other email account. Um, mm -mm -mm. Sorry, my uh, whole house is covered in laundry and I have a busy month ahead of me because I am shutting down my brick and mortar. So if you guys want to come to my brick and mortar, perfectly centered, you have until the end of March and there's going to be weird hours because me and John are kind of already uh, all over the place, but just check our Instagram at perfectly centered store. If that's something that you wanted to do, uh, come uh, it's 1989 Palmer Avenue, Larchmont, New York. But make sure to check the Instagram to make sure we're open. Usually we're open Wednesday through Saturday, 12 to 5 p.m. But could be could be some weird um, hours coming up, especially next week when I'm in Washington, D.C. Uh, all right. Let's see. First, I want to – oh, first I want to open this piece of mail that's sitting on my lap. Also, is this address the address I can tell people or or is this the hidden address? This is the good one? Yeah, that's a good one. Fifty one first half. Now yeah. we had to check where she was. Um, okay, so if you want to send uh, mail, uh, you can send it to Ga Corinne Fisher, care of Gas Digital Studios, one fifty one First Avenue, number three eleven, like the band, New York, New York one triple zero three. I would say there's about a thirty two percent chance that I'll receive it. Uh, but you know, if you're a gambling man or a woman, what a fun time. <laughs> Mike hates when I when I do this, uh, but it's true. There's many packages that you guys have said you've sent here. I never received them. Oh, like you've ever missed a package, Corinne. What are you talking about? It's not your fault personally. I'm not blaming you. Um, this is from Alex Powell in uh, Augusta, Georgia. I don't know if Alex Powell's a girl or a guy. It smells like this is from a girl, um, uh, but I, I know lots of Alex's. I like Alex. I tend to like Alex's. 
I had a boyfriend named Alex. My best friend, she's passed away. My, my childhood best friend's name was Alex. Um, Corinne, sorry this took me forever. The post office is my enemy of the state. Hope you like these vegan deodorants. Johnny Cash is my fave. Oh, this is this is the cruelty-free vegan deodorants that I was waiting for. I smelled my armpits today during uh, my workout with my trainer, and he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I was just trying to see if my unicorn, um, this new unicorn deodorant that I tried uh, was working. Because it's just a deodorant, not an antiperspirant, which I thought might be cool because I was like, yeah, let's let, let my body release the toxins. I'm honestly not a big sweater anyway, so it hasn't been that uncomfortable, but I just wanted to make sure the sweating wasn't making me smell. And it's pretty good. Again, like I'm not a super smelly gal, so it was okay. But yeah, we'll I'll try these out. They they do this this does smell like someone who like makes their own um, exfoliant and puts it in a mason jar. But I'm not gonna hold that against the product. This one is called Johnny's Cash. I like these. These are kind of masculine scents. Then there's one called Sexy Sadie, Lucy in the Sky, and Cat Lady. These are great because they're mini. So I can take them on the road with me, um, and it takes up less room in my luggage. This is by a brand called Routine. I'll report back to you guys and let you know what I think of it. Made in Canada. Um, And if you want to check out their Instagram, it's Routine Cream. So we will – why is there a cat lady one but not a dog lady one? What Dog lady one – that – I mean, just this afternoon, me as a dog lady, I was eating an an egg and avocado wrap – and some of it squirted onto my leg, not the avocado part. Don't worry. I know that's toxic to dogs. And uh, I, I called Alfred over and he licked it off my um, yoga pants. So, you know, if that's not a clip for OnlyFans, I don't know what is. Anyway, thank you so much, Alex, for sending these. I'm very excited to receive them. I was looking out for them. And here we are. The spirit of liberty is rising, filth. That just felt good for deodorant. All right, moving forward. Washington, D.C., that, that, I feel like I've been talking about this date forever for my whole entire life, but it's finally approaching. It's finally coming. It is going to be, it's next weekend, right, at this point. So February 29th, which is a Thursday through Saturday, March 2nd, I am headlining DC Comedy Loft in Washington, D.C. Uh, the, the ticket link is up. It has been up. Let's sell out those shows. I know we got a lot of uh, wackos and fuckers and just Korean fans in general in Washington, D.C. Those should be fun shows. I got Chloe LeBranch with me for all of those Um I think Alfred is coming, but he won't be at the shows because apparently DC Comedy Loft's screen room doesn't have a door. So that's where my career is at, and I'm really excited. I'm really excited about it. No um, door, but psychedelics in the lounge. Oh, you've been there? Oh, yeah. It's a fun club. Is it? Well, I, 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 I was told it's the kind of club where you, you as the artist have to go and headcount the audience yourself if you want to be paid the proper amount of money. So I'm excited. I am excited. Yeah, I don't I don't deal with those kind of logistics. I yeah. just uh, I know I laughed a lot when I was there. <laughs> oh gosh. It, it's the kind of club where I'm already to get in a fight with management before I even arrive. So, wow. What a what a good energy I'm bringing to it. I hope your opener can fight. Oh my god. Chloe? 
honestly, turn Chloe loose on some people. That's a nightmare for them. Well, the thing is, Chloe will. Chloe's a great feature because a feature is not a, like a, being a feature is is such a complex job because you're not only you not only have to be good at comedy. I mean, if you're if you're if you're featuring for an insecure comic, you actually have to be bad at comedy. But Chloe's excellent at comedy. I hate when people pe- pick bad features on purpose to make themselves look uh, look good. I pick Chloe as a feature, and she makes me fucking work uh, during the headlining spot, which I love. Um, and, uh, she, but she's also like a fun hang and she will also like help fight fights with me, which is what you do. And she is also good at French braiding hair when I need that. So she really has all the things that you want to look for in a fantastic feature. And she can update an Instagram bio while she drives, while she merges onto a highway. Um, all right. This week, as enemy of the state, <laughs> this one is lighthearted because I've been doing some heavier ones lately. Um, this week's enemy of the state is girl dad, Ben Hart, a break dancer, better known by his stage name, Benny Hanna enemy of the state. And this, I don't even know how I came upon this. Oh, I think I actually came upon this originally on threads. Someone on threads reposted this video from his daughter, who is an influencer named Maddie Hart. And she was sharing, uh, funny trauma and so if you guys, let's watch her TikTok video that started me down this rabbit hole of learning who a 60-something-year-old breakdancer is. <laughs> Should I vamp for time? Should I just do a little bit? I feel like I need to learn how to sing. For you think the- you could breakdance? I can't breakdance. I can barely regular dance. Dancing's not really my thing. Baton twirling, that's my thing. Sorry, the CCP really does not want me to bring this up. I wish I knew what that meant. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh... That you have, that's funny. It has to actually be funny. She's I'll go first. My dad abandoned my family when I was five years old. That is um, a wife and four kids. He abandoned us and then pursued amateur breakdancing. And he got really good. <laughs> He like blew up. Like he became like a D-list celebrity status, like viral breakdancer. He became like the oldest actively competing breakdancer in the world. Then he got on Good Morning America and talk shows and Washington Post wrote about him and he went super viral and he did all these interviews and he danced with Paula Abdul. And here, I'll show you. To see, take a look at this 60 year old breakdancer. Yes, 60 years old. Amazing. competition in Philadelphia and he may not have won but he I'll tell you what he is winning over a lot of people on the internet yes. he really is yeah yep. he a lot of people on the internet this guy wouldn't pay my medical bills if you're not watching it's a lot of break dancing footage and I suggest you tune part, in damn it he's good he should not be able to move his body like that it's like impossible it's beautiful hey dad like, there was no split custody or anything. Like, he just, like, left four kids to do that. He may not have paid for some of my medical bills growing up, but he did give me this breakdancing merchandise. So that's him. He's on his head. Benny Hanna is his B-boy name because his name is Ben Hart. You know, I'll get texts like this. Happy birthday, question mark. And then, like, links to his to his breakdancing videos. So if you have funny trauma, like, actual funny haha trauma, I need to hear it. Thank you. So that's the, that's the initial video. And... Uh, I liked I liked that girl, uh, you know, which is, you know, my own my own internalized misogyny, because just because someone's likable really 
it shouldn't really it, it has no bearing on whether or not they're a good person and it's a common trap we fall into especially with women um but i like her and i what i like most about her is that you know she believes that her dad abandoned her that is how she is looking at her life and it seems to be so from the explanation but and, and you know and and left to pursue um an artistic endeavor you guys there's mics around i think um and left to pursue an artistic endeavor which is you know the story of so many men so many uh famous actors and musicians you hear that story that we would that we love um i'm not going to name names but i mean like I'm going to name names, actually. I'm, I'm thinking like Garth Brooks did it. Jim Carrey did it. Like people who are beloved. Like if you talk to their original families, things weren't going well. Um, and that's difficult, especially when it's when it's obvious that you have such an incredible artistic gift to share. Like to me, I just said like, well, then why did you even like why did you even kind of bother having a family? Like it is not you don't it's not required to have a family. And I think that if you have an incredible artistic gift, like, yeah, don't have a family. Share your gift with the world. You don't want to have to also share children. But anyway, that's a whole other, uh, you know, another topic that we talk about a lot on Guys We Fucked. Um, and so I, the story is very believable because of all these things. But that is not what the show is about. If you want to go for, uh, you know, completely biased man-hating, I have a show for that. And it's called Guys We Fucked. But on this show, we explore things from all angles. So even though my enemy of the state is Ben Hart, it's kind of a two-sided enemy of the state, right? Because I watched his uh, daughter, you know, the, the the clip that I just shared with you. And then I said, well, let me see what the his response is. Let me look into it. And now it's a 10-minute response. We're not going to watch the whole thing. I did watch the entire thing just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. Um, but I did read this Newsweek article uh, about it. And it includes the full 10-minute response. And it, my initial thought is I think it's very weird um, as the parent to respond via social media to your child. In the video, Ben says that he does have a good relationship with all his children, uh, including Maddie, uh, who is the one who made the video. And if that is so, well, why are you m responding to her on social media? Yeah, I can understand being frustrated with the fact that she made this video. It got, you know, millions of views. You woke up at six in the morning being called, a, you know, a, a deadbeat dad online, and that's no good for your breakdancing career. Or just for, you know, for who you are, uh, you know, it, it could be considered slanderous in general. But it is very much something that, you know, a, you know she's in her 20s, obviously, that a, a kid or even maybe even it's still a teenager, that someone in their 20s or late teens would do, right? Because we they don't have enough life experience to realize that perhaps you have to think about the full consequences of calling someone out in that manner on social media. It's also the world she grew up in. But you as the dad did not grow up in that world and you should know better. And also... Like you, 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 you don't, you don't, you don't, and I don't even think she did it like, uh, with, uh, b badness in her heart, but like, you don't need to stoop to your child's level. Like if your child feels like you abandoned the family, that to me is saying, shit, I need to go have a serious talk with my daughter so that she doesn't spend the rest of the life, her life thinking that I abandoned her. And to me, the fact that he responded on social media and whether or not he talked to her privately, that is unclear, but it certainly seems like the initial response by his wording, by his language, by the video was done initially on 
online. And that to me is a problem because that to me is saying that you care more about what society thinks of you and what social media thinks of you than what your own fucking daughter thinks of you. And as a parent, like the first the first relationship you need to heal is the one with your child. If your child is on TikTok saying that you abandoned the family to become a breakdancer, whether or not that's true, clear that up with her before you fucking do a do a TikTok stitch for us. You're 66 years old. Have you learned nothing during this lifetime? Um, can you pull up this uh, Newsweek article? Uh, well, I, just, I don't understand why nothing is loading on this internet. Um, so it says an argument between a father and daughter has gained viral attention online as Maddie Hart, a California-based comedian with a huge TikTok following, and it's not huge. It's like 74,000, which on TikTok is about 30,000 in Instagram followers. Like it, I went on expecting she would have like hundreds of millions of followers, and it's just not that serious. Um, her, her, the, the, that particular video did got, get a lot of traction, um, but like he made it seem like she was some huge influencer, and she, she is not. Uh, uh, aired her grievances against her father, Ben Hart, a break dancer better known by his stage name, Benny Hanna. In a video that now has over 5 million views on TikTok, Maddie, 24, there you go, um, accused her father of abandoning the family when she was just five years old to pursue breakdancing. Uh, ben, now 65, I thought he said he was 66 in the video, but whatever, went on to achieve unexpected fame as the oldest actively competing breakdancer in the world, appearing in print and on TV, showcasing his skills. Um, and so can we play the the first couple, a little bit of the beginning of his response? I do it, some work, I get my coffee, I sit down, I open my computer. Immediately this guy's a fucking, you I can tell this guy's with? a dork and he well, needed this break dancing. of comments calling me a deadbeat dad, a child abandoner, what was the and giveaway? all manner Bitcoin of other shirt? insults. <laughs> so I think, what's this all about? Well, after a few minutes of investigation, I discover that my daughter, Maddie, has made a video about he me. Has a really She's weird a screenwriter in Hollywood. Too. She's also a big social media influencer with millions of followers. Some of her videos I don't know where get the millions, millions of views. And this video has tens of millions of views. One million likes, 20,000 comments, 40,000 bookmarks, 30,000 reposts. It's just insane. So I thought I'd better watch this video. And frankly, I was pretty chagrined by what I heard. Okay, you can stop least. it. I just wanted you guys to get but an honestly, essence of who he is. But he goes on and on. Like, the guy needs a fucking editor. He does not know how to... Like, he, he, this is way too long for TikTok. Like, he said, TikTok lets you do a 10-minute video now. I'm going to do a 10-minute video now. Um, so basically, in it, he says, like, I didn't abandon the family. I moved a mile away. Maddie was five, though, so I understand how she could think that I abandoned the family. Um... He, he said uh, that he, yes, he did pursue breakdancing, but that was prim not primarily what he pursued. He said he started his own advertising firm. And then he goes into the actual fiscal amounts that he you know, gave to the family. He's like, I didn't abandon your mom. He's like, we got a divorce. It's way different. He's like, lots of people get a divorce. And I'm like, okay, this makes sense that he got a divorce. He moved a mile away. Uh, you know, and, and I guess like when you're young, you know, when you're, when you're divorced, she says there's no split custody. He didn't actually like say who got custody. Um, he does. He does say uh, it is 70 percent my fault that uh, Maddie's mom and I got a divorce. So I thought that was good that he took that much um, 
you know, he took that much fault for the divorce. Cause of course no divorce is a hundred percent someone's fault. Like I don't believe that. I'm like, unless you like murder a family, even, you know, even still, I feel like it's very hard for uh, the divorce to be a hundred percent one person's fault. So the fact that he took 70% of the blame I thought was okay. That's, that's a good start. Um, he said, we got a divorce and I gave her mom a $5 million lump sum. So then that that's one layer of the onion that that's peeled back. You go, Oh, we're, we're dealing with rich people here and they're absolutely insane. And to me that brought a lot of clarity to the issue. I go, Oh, a $5 million. And he was paying initially $18,000 a month in child support. It then went down to $12,000 a month in child support. I go, these people are fucking wealthy. He then goes on to say what all the children are pursuing. One's like fucking teaching English in like Thailand or something like shit. Only rich people do the other one. You know, she's pursuing screenwriting. She just graduated from Northwestern. She's an influencer. Uh, the other, the other kids are like, uh, one's an investment banker. Just like the story just gets more and more obnoxious and you just have less and less sympathy for the entire family because they go, Oh, this is a family that has actually no sense of what reality is. Um, and, uh, and like, I know it's weird for me to say that as someone who, per, you know, pursued the arts as well, but like I went broke doing it. I didn't just like float off to Los Angeles and like write scripts in a bedroom. Uh, I, I went absolutely broke doing it. And I bet all my money that I made at Oasis Day Spa on myself and it just happened to work out, but, uh, it, it's a much different situation. You also, I also think you can learn a lot about someone's mental health from their bio and Maddie. Um, and it's Maddie Hart underscore soccer in, in here it says the people's in parentheses unhinged princess right there that's a dead giveaway this girl's a fucking psychopath okay and I like it I like it I like her content that's why her videos do get a good amount of views and again like she doesn't have millions of followers she has 6.9 million likes on um, TikTok but only 72.7 followers thousand followers on tiktok which you know in tiktok numbers not that high um and uh what else is going on yeah and so he says I didn't abandon them I gave the mom a lump sum so it seems like the mom perhaps mishandled uh the the money allocating the money to like I think there's four kids total and then he and then she claims that he didn't pay her medical bills and he she's like well I, I wasn't able to like control what your mom was doing with the money but he's like I gave her a shit ton of money and it seems like fair she doesn't seem actually angry at her dad she just seems she was kind of like mining for content and the story is quite funny the fact that he gets really into break dancing and enjoys a lot of success in his 60s and he is a pretty good break break dancer so at this point I'm kind of on the dad side then in his 10 minute response he go at one after he's done explaining the financial breakdown um he goes oh I bet you're wondering if I can still break dance and then cuts to him in a gym that looks perhaps like it's his, he's so wealthy that he has his own private gym in his home and he fucking break dances and he's good but at the same time you're like Good God, no wonder your your uh, kid doesn't think you're a good parent. You are so absolutely desperate for attention well into your 60s. You've had no self-actualization uh, come upon you in all, in all this life that you've lived. It's really, really scary. And then he gets back on and continues replying. Um, 
I guess the most damning piece of evidence that she has against him, in my opinion, is not the claim of abandonment, because I think some of that came from like her mom probably shit talking her dad, which is that's a whole un, another unfortunate thing. Please, no matter how much you hate your uh, kids, parents, don't bad mouth them in front of the kids. It's so bad. You should know that I'm not even a parent and I fucking know that it is so traumatizing to the children. Um, and uh, and then it is the screenshot, though, of the text message where her dad goes happy like happy birthday sorry like I lost track of time like that's an unacceptable text to send your fucking child you cannot forget your child's birthday that's in fucking sane um and then the following text is a link to him breakdancing like this is someone who is you know in the next lifetime I hope you know needs less of an ego stroke um, and he obviously passed that need for an ego stroke down to his daughter, who is now, uh, you know, monetizing her trauma. And so it's kind of funny. It's like, yeah, I don't did the dad deserve to be dragged like that publicly? No, I don't think he did, especially when he explained his side of the story. And I, I think I believe a lot of it. Like he certainly seems to have his faults, but he didn't. It, it's it's pretty clear to me he didn't actually abandon the family. Listen, is he father of the fucking year? Also, probably not. And just because you provide financially uh, doesn't mean that you are there for your children. It's much more important to be there for your children in in t- FaceTime than it is to, uh, you know, just hand them a check for five million dollars as you do whatever you, you do. I think a kid is seeing that like, oh, it's if you have time, if you have you have time to be on Good Morning America, but you don't have time to like make it to my birthday party. Yeah, that's fucking shitty. Um, But he's kind of getting a taste of his own medicine because it's like, oh, you pass down this absolute thirst that you have for public adoration to your child. So it's just it's it's you've now created this vicious circle. Um, But that story deeply amused me today. You got to I mean, the break, the part where he stops, he stops the response to break dance. I go, oh, my God, you had me and then you lost me, my guy. You had me and then you lost me. But again, I thought it was a really good example and a lighthearted one of how you really need to look at all sides of the story. And overall, I'm just kind of against internet dragging. Like, I, I'm sure, she, you know, in the world that she grew up in as a 24-year-old, it seems like very lighthearted um, uh, to just, like, tell this funny haha story about trauma. But obviously, it's like, it's it was pretty, like, severe character assassination for this guy, you know? Even if he wasn't Benny Han or the breakdancer, you know, it's still like your your colleagues at the advertising firm are going to see that. Like, that's shitty. That's like pretty shitty character assassination. So that, uh, this week's Enemy of the State is girl dad Ben Hart, but it's also girl daughter Maddie Hart. They're kind of both the enemies of the state. The whole family, to me, can suck it. Once I found enemy out how rich they were, the I was like, none of you are normal. And listen, it's not their, you know, it's not her fault for being born into a rich family, but she's a little bit uh, removed from reality, (laughs) I I I would say. Hey there, responsible wackos over the age of 21 living in states where Delta 8 is legal. Do you want to get high? Do you want to get really high? Wait, do you want to get really super duper legally high? Well, then now's the time to go over to YoDelta.com where you can stock up on high-quality lab-tested Delta 8. Guys, you, you know this ad by now. You probably could say it along with me. You could say it along verbatim. You probably have it memorized. You know that these vapes and these gummies are banging. 
That's why they keep buying ad space because people keep buying the product and people keep enjoying it. And they say there is no better way to disassociate than with YoDelta.com's products. So if you're the over the age of 21 and living in the majority of states where this is legal, you're going to head over to YoDelta.com and stock up on Delta 8. Delta 8 is found in hemp and can be legally shipped to various states, not all of them, but various ones to get you high. At YoDelta.com, you can find a mix of gummies and vapes for all your getting stoned needs. Delta 8 works, according to this copy that I'm reading and the friends that I have that have used it. Uh, And these products, of course, should be taken responsibly. Don't be a fucking asshole. So once more, that's YoDelta.com, the official Delta 8 sponsor of the Gas Digital Network. And if you use the promo code GAS, G-A-S, you're going to get 25% off. Once more, that's promo code GAS, G-A-S, for 25% off. YoDelta, home of the Delta 8 that will get you super high. Now, back to Without a Country. Um... All right, now I'm going to move into uh, the main story of the week, just because this main story of the week to me is particularly fascinating. Um, It's about, I'm sure you've heard about uh, Alexei Navalny um, and uh, his death. And this is not someone I was actually familiar with uh, uh, before. I probably should have been familiar. This is, uh, you know, uh, Putin's nemesis who but kind of just like died seeking the truth seeking justice the uh some are calling him the nelson mandela of russia i'm just kind of very interested in his story with his wife speaking out um and the fact that he had a chance to escape russia was out of the country after um he uh he was initially i think they tried to poison him previously and he kind of knew if he went back to russia that he was kind of dead meat and he still bravely went back. I was thinking a lot about like, well, does it make sense to go back? Especially again, when you have a family again, thinking about this, like if you make the choice to have a family, what is more important staying alive for your children or pursuing your artistic or political or social quest? Right. And I think about that myself a lot, right? Because my social quests are so important to me. Um, my artistic ones are important too, but I think the social ones are, you know, definitely outweigh the, outweigh the artistic ones. And like, I could definitely put artistic projects on the back burner for my children. But if I was in the middle of pursuing something, you know, for social justice, for politics, for the seeking the truth, and you know, I often, you know, I'd like to think that I would, I don't know, like, like you want to be there for your kids, but also like, what is the greater thing? Uh, what is the what is your greater purpose on this earth so I think just a lot of people just like maybe shouldn't have kids if you feel this like greater calling like it is not required to have kids it is not required to get married like pursue this greater truth if people are calling you selfish for, for pursuing this greater truth that you think that you can make an impact in like Alexei like fucking do it but I also don't think your kids should have to suffer for it. And it, it is, And I, I was just thinking about this a lot ethically over the past week. Like, he kind of fed himself to the wolves. And, like, if I was his child, and I know his family is proud of him, like, now, but I wonder as the years goes on as his children if they will have – I mean, I can't imagine them not having conflicted feelings towards him unless they were just raised in such a home of truth that – um, and truth and and a quest for seeking um, the truth and uh, vindicating 
you know, think like I just maybe maybe they they have such a strong foundation that they will never feel conflicted about him um, and they they won't feel abandoned by him. I don't know. I don't know. I can only, only his children can answer that. But that's a concept that I was thinking about a lot over the week. So we're going to pick a couple articles first. Um, this is from Reuters. Um, what we know about uh, Alexei Navalny's death in Arctic prison. Alexis Navalny, Russian President Vladimir Putin's most prominent domestic foe, died on Friday at the Arctic prison where he was serving a three-decade prison term. What do we know and not know about the death? Uh, Navalny was incarcerated at the uh, IK-3 penal colony north of the Arctic Circle, located in Karp in the Yamalo-Nenets region, about 1,200 miles northeast of Moscow. His death was announced by the Federal Penitentiary Service of the Yamalo-Nenets Autonomous District at twenty at two nineteen p.m. Moscow time on February sixteenth. Uh, on February sixteenth, twenty twenty four, in Penal Colony Number Three, convict Navalny AA felt unwell after a walk, almost immediately losing consciousness. Hmm, sounds sus. All necessary uh, necessary resuscitation measures were carried out, which did not give positive results. Doctors of the ambulance stated the death of the convict. The causes of death are being established. I mean, it's, you know, it's like it's so funny because, you know, with Jeffrey Epstein uh, here in America, it was kind of like it was a bit of a conspiracy theory to say that Je- Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. And not that they're saying that he killed himself in this state, but like basically across the board, everyone's just reporting like this guy was murdered. Like no one's even and I guess maybe because it happened in Russia and, in, and you know, the way we feel about Russia as a country, it, whereas uh, Jeffrey Epstein was more of an inside job uh, and people and the news here couldn't call it out as foul play as easily without repercussions. But it's just kind of funny to see the different uh the difference in reporting between these two things which were both obviously foul play um no more details about the death have been given by the penitentiary uh service or by medical officials uh and then it says sudden death syndrome his 69-year-old mother, Ludmila, uh, had been given a notice of the death. Navalny's spokeswoman, Kira Yarmish, said uh, the time of death in that notice was 2.17 p.m. local time on February 16th, Yarmish said. When Alexei's lawyer and mother arrived at the colony this morning, they were told that the cause of Navalny's death was sudden death syndrome. Ivan Zdanov, who directs Navalny's anti-corruption foundation, said on Saturday. Saturday. And like this guy has has talked a lot, you know, number one, he was they tried to kill him one one time before he's warned his wife, like, I'm probably going to die. Like this is like he knew this was coming. He knew that he knew this was coming. He just didn't know uh, when. Um, And then if you Google sudden death syndrome, you know, medical news today says it's not a formal condition or diagnosis and does not necessarily indicate a specific medical condition medical condition sudden death syndrome is an umbrella term for many biological scenarios leading to quick onset and unforeseen mortality uh the person involved often has little to no warning signs of illness i mean pretty fucking vague you know uh but sounds official you know sudden death syndrome is a vague term for uh different cardiac syndromes that cause sudden cardiac arrest and death that's how reuters is reporting but if you look up online it's even more vague than that and identify because it almost seems like it could be something in your brain too right or like a blood clot, like you don't really know. An unidentified source told state-controlled RT that Navalny died from a blood clot. 
Nazi. Uh, Russian investigators have not yet determined the cause of Navalny's death, and his mother and lawyers were told by investigative officials, Yarmish said on Monday. Uh, it's unclear where Navalny's body is, which... That doesn't make sense. If he died of sudden death syndrome after a walk in the Arctic prison, the body would just be there. Where? Would, why would the body be missing? Makes no sense. Uh, Novoya Gazeta cited unidentified sources as saying that the body had been taken to the morgue at the Salicard District Clinical Hospital. The newspaper said the body showed signs of bruising consistent with some sort of seizure as well as traces of heart massage attempts. The newspaper said it was unclear why his heart stopped because someone punched him in it. Um, some Russian media reported that a special team of investigators had arrived from Moscow. It is unclear when the postmortem will take place. An unidentified prisoner in the same penal colony told Novaya Gazeta newspaper that a strange commotion erupted in the prison on the evening of February. February 15th. The guards accelerated their evening checks of the prisoners and strengthened security, the prisoners said. The morning of February 16th began with a total shakedown of the barracks with guards confiscating cell phones and other items from prisoners. I mean, like, this is just the worst. Like, they didn't even try to cover up the fact that they murdered this dude. Soon after, a committee from the Central Office Federal Penitentiary uh, Service arrived, the prisoner said. The prisoner said Navalny's death became known in the prison at about 8 o'clock Moscow time, several hours before his death was officially announced by the prison in service, but that an ambulance arrived only after his death was established. It was not possible to ve verify the prisoner's account. Just the day before his death, Navalny was shown joking in court via a video link to court. Teasingly, he requested a judge use some uh, of his vast salary to top up his own account. The online news... The prison officer who tried to confiscate Navalny's pen. Navalny wrote later on Thursday that he had been given 15 days in solitary confinement. Russian prisons are brutal, and his team had repeatedly raised fears that he would be harmed or killed. He was repeatedly placed in punishment cells for various offenses, including for his attitude. Though he joked about the conditions, the Polar Wolf Colony is considered to be one of the toughest prisons in Russia. It has not been colder than negative 32 degrees Celsius yet, Navalny said in January. Nothing quite invigorates you like a walk in your mall at 6.30 in the morning. Even at this temperature, you can walk for more than uh, an half an hour only if you manage to grow a new nose, new ears, and new fingers. He posted a picture of his walking yard, concrete walled, topped with metal bars, 11 steps long and three steps wide. Navalny mentioned a scene in the 2015 film The Revenant in which Leonardo DiCaprio shelters in the carcass of a horse. I don't think that would have worked here. A dead horse would freeze in 15 minutes, Navalny. Navalny said, we need an elephant here, a hot elephant, a fried one. Last year, he raised a little publicized um, problem that haunts Russia's prisons, a lack of teeth due to poor nutrition. Yes, less than a year ago, his team said he was grappling with severe stomach pain in jail. So that sounds absolutely horrific. Um, that's a kind of about his death. 
And this is a an opinion piece from the Washington Post. There were several like opinion pieces. One was written by a friend of his. This one, though, I think is a a better read if you know if you're kind of learning about uh, who he really is. Um, this is by an analysis by Ashan Theror. Uh, in Navalny's death, Putin cements a new era of Russian dictatorship. Among Alexei Alexei Navalny's friends and admirers, there is a heartbreaking hope that his legacy will live on. Navalny, 47, was Russia's Nelson Mandela, an inspiring advocate for freedom and reform who chose state captivity in 2021 over a life in exile. Charismatic and indefatigable, he had investigated President Vladimir Putin's kleptocratic regime, lampooned its corrupt, incompetent uh, a, a, a parachicks. Fuck. I looked up the, uh, these other words and then I forgot to leave this one. All right. I'm looking up this one right now. I have no, absolutely no idea on planet Earth what this word means. A parachic. Um, I mean, that doesn't even sound like it's from um, American English. Uh, a member of the Communist Party. Oh, there you go. That's why I don't have any idea what it means. Uh, and through a network of independent activists and journalists offered to countless Russians a vision of a civic future that transcended the authoritarian demagogue whose rule seems to stretch into a fourth decade. His popularity spread far beyond the liberal-minded elites in cities like Moscow and St. Petersburg. For that, Navalny perished while in the hands of the state, disappeared to an obscure Arctic prison. I mean, those words shouldn't even be together. The celebrated dissident suffered ill health for months and died Friday, according to Russian authorities. His wife accused Putin of murder. President Biden said what befell Navalny was proof of Putin's brutality. Navalny's death was simultaneously shocking and unsurprising. He joins a long, tragic history of Kremlin opponents swallowed up by the gulag, but his message was so potent and his skills as a messenger so incomparable that it was easy to imagine he could share in Mandela's story of eventual liberation and political victory. That was not to be. Over the weekend, mourners searched for meaning in his loss. Navalny dreamed of a free Russia, wrote Michael McFowl, a former U.S. ambassador to Russia, in a Washington Post op-ed. Barbaric dictators such as Putin can kill men, but they cannot kill ideas. Even behind bars, Navalny was a real threat to Putin because he was living proof that courage is possible, that truth exists, that Russia could be a different kind of country, wrote The Atlantic's Anne Applebaum. Russia, for now, is undeniably Putin's country. Entering the third year of his full-blown war in Ukraine, the Russian president has withstood international sanctions, geopolitical isolation from the West, and a prominent mercenary's brazen insurrection. The edifice of his power remains intact, while those who threaten it face even harsher consequences than in an earlier phase of his rule. And I think this is interesting, right? Because here with Putin and then in Israel with Ben Benjamin Netanyahu, you see these leaders um, in, you know, really kind of becoming dictators, be, being really unstoppable, unmanageable. And I think like we're just like there's too many of these going on in a way that feels uh, really dangerous um, in a way that I have we haven't seen, you know, super recently. I guess there's other people that you can argue, but um, these people, I don't know. You know, they're 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 people who 
like sometimes we'll see American leaders like chatting with them in a way where it makes them seem perhaps not as dangerous as they actually are. Right. Because they're they're countries that we have like on and off relationships with. But these people are evil. It's not good. Um, it's tempting to see Navalny's apparent murder, as some American uh, analysts have, as a sign of weakness on the part of Putin, wrote Masha Gessen in The New Yorker. But a dictator's ability to annihilate what he fears is a measure of his hold on power, as is his ability to choose the time to strike. Putin appears to be feeling optimistic about his own future. Indeed, Putin is set to secure a new presidential mandate in a farce of an election next month where any meaningful challenger has been disqualified and I think this is interesting for America specifically with Putin and the fact that it looks like we might have Donald Trump as president for a second term right because you know they'll be chatting and I saw another article that said what Donald Trump took from uh, Navalny's death is like he took it as oh he needs to wash out for people who disagree with him politically like that's what he took from this either you know and so to me that says not only maybe does he think he's so powerful that someone would try to kill him but I think it also is kind of a thing that's like oh if you uh, almost like it could be also interpreted as a threat like oh if you disagree with me you're gonna end up like people who disagree with fucking Putin so just all around bad news Uh, the opposition is cowed suppressed and scattered fewer Russians are willing to risk taking to the streets than in years past Putin also has cause to smile watching politics to the west as the United States uh, Republican lawmakers stymie new US funding for Ukraine and sympathetic far right parties surge across Europe Putin now remains alone. Andrei Koliskanov, a Moscow-based senior research fellow at the Carnegie Russia Eurasia Centers, told my colleagues. He is uh, Salurex, the lonely king. No one can stop him um, triumphing. Analysts saw a link between Nalvani's death and the 2015 assassination of leading Putin critic Boris Nepstov, Nemstov, who was gunned down while walking along a bridge in Moscow. Uh, Nemstov's killing seemed to accentuate a shift in the nature of Putin's rule. The despot in the Kremlin could no longer satisfy himself with only fraudulent elections and a judiciary operating under his whims. Uh, Nevstov was a well-regarded advocate of reform and an opponent of Russia's seizure of Crimea in the year prior as well as its launching of a pro-Russian insurgency in southeastern Ukraine. In the years since Nemtsov was murdered, Russia has transformed, to use the language of political science, from a dictatorship of deception to a dictatorship of fear, and then after the invasion of Ukraine in 2022, into an outright dictatorship of terror, akin to the one that exerted an iron grip on the Soviet Union for much of the 20th century, wrote Alexander Baunov in the Financial Times. Public grieving for Navalny is it is itself a risky act. At least 366 people have been arrested in 36 cities across Russia for displaying their sympathies, my colleagues reported Sunday, citing a watchdog group by the bridge where Nemstov was murdered, which has become a sort of unofficial memorial uh, pro-regime vigilantes ripped up flowers and candles left in vigil by Navalny's supporters. I think this is interesting. Like when we talk about You know, when I kind of talk about liberals needing to be more pro-America, it's stories like this. It's things like this, like that we take for granted, right? That we take for, for granted the fact that like we can mourn whoever we want to mourn. 
But certain things, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, Israel uh, and, and, and Palestine or Israel and Hamas, however you want to uh, talk about it, uh, we see people now getting fired. Um, there was just a New York Times article where two professors were fired, one who was very pro- openly pro-Israel and one who was very uh, pro- pro-Palestine. So it's like, in a way, that is being, you know, not in a way it is it is being fired for uh grieving the thing that you want to grieve and i think it's just a really slippery slope and we need to see uh, and track what's happening in other countries during their worst times when um to see what might be in store for us especially for people that our political leaders here in america break bread with and unfortunately like putin is someone that some of our political leaders have broken bread with. People are just constantly scared out of their wits. A 24-year-old mourner in Moscow who identified herself as Yulia told my colleague Francesca Ebel, this is a dictatorship where you cannot express yourself. That's kind of what a dictatorship is in general, I think. Um, It's hard to imagine anyone mobilizing the massive rallies that Navalny himself organized in earlier years. Street protests can only work if millions come out. Genady Gudov, Gudkov, a senior Russian opposition politician now in exile in Paris, told my colleagues, but because people are not organized and don't have any resources or newspapers or political leaders or parties or trade unions, there is nothing. This state of affairs is... Uh, and even this like is so and so impressive right like they so he Navalny was organizing these protests he was really mobilizing the people of Russia um in a way that you know would be probably embarrassing to the things that we put together here in America so when I talk about like being an active citizen and some of you guys push back and they're like I you know you're like fuck this country like I don't want to do anything for this country um that you know that hasn't done anything for me like I kind of think that's embarrassing when you see where, where people people who are living in a literal dictatorship are able to put together and are willing to truly risk their lives for the freedoms um, that they deserve. Like that's that to me is. And when I say like, and when I say specifically like uh, liberals should be more pro American, I'm specifically talking about like. Uh, people who have been here and especially white people who have been here for several generations. I'm not talking about like new immigrants. Like that's not who I'm talking about. Like when you're talking about being like pro-America, I'm talking about like if you are here, you've been here for multiple um, generations uh, and you're white and you're and you're fucking complaining constantly about the government, but you're not doing anything. Truly, fuck you. We don't need you. We don't need you. That's that's the kind of person. Because I think sometimes people are so on edge. People are so ready to fight. When they hear someone who they're not sure what political party she lies in, such as myself, again, very open about what political party I am. And I'm left-leaning, but I'm a liberal gone rogue because I can't really identify with any political party these days because they're all so fucked in the head. Um, that's what I'm. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like, are we going to just complain about this country, but stay here and enjoy all all the things? We're going to enjoy our Amazon Prime. We're going to enjoy our freedoms. We're going to enjoy sitting around. We're going to enjoy uh, getting unemployment when we just kind of don't feel like working because our mental health is acting up. Like all of these things that you like, it, it drives me crazy. And then don't even get me started. I didn't want to cause too much of a problem this week, but like I was about to make my enemy of the state, uh, you know, fucking like Canadians and British people and Australian people who come to America and then complain. Places 
that are completely fine, safe, profitable, wonderful places uh, to live in that come here and then shit all over capitalism and the way that where things are structured here. Either fucking help or don't help because you don't need you're not a refugee. You don't you can you can live in those countries just fine. That's the kind of shit that drives me absolutely up a fucking wall. Like if you're like, are you like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? So I know. Sometimes if you're ready to fight, it can seem when someone says like, be more pro-American that it's directed towards, uh, you know, immigrants. And it's 100 percent not uh, directed towards immigrants. I mean, down the line, everyone in America is an immigrant, obviously, kind of story of the, uh, the story of the fucking country. But I'm talking about when I say that I'm really, really actually directing it towards white people who have been here a long time, uh, who just like to get online and complain about shit uh and absolutely wouldn't survive a fucking day in most of the other countries that are options to live in in the world uh this back to the article this state of affairs is by design the conclusion of Putin's relentless uh, tightening of his fist. In a way, Navalny's death marks the culmination of years of efforts by the Russian state to eliminate all sources of opposition, wrote Andrei Soldatov and Irina Boragon in Foreign Affairs. A lot of bumpy names today. Uh, for more than two decades, Putin has made political assassination an essential part of the Kremlin's toolkit. And still, Navalny has left an indelible mark. Millions of Russians turn to his allies in exile for news and accurate information about their country. Social media, a realm where Navalny was both pioneer and king, abounds with forums and discussions on matters otherwise silenced by the state. Even now, Soldatov and Borazhan uh, concluded the forces that Navalny unleashed are unlikely to go away. I just think like, you know, if you're, if you have, who do you want to be like, who do you want to be like, Nav like Alexei Navalny, like what, like I've really just so much enjoyed learning about him uh, and his work this week. And it's unfortunate that it, that it took his fucking assassination uh, for me. But when I think about like what type of a person I want to be in the world, you want to be like Alexei Navalny. You don't want to be like Putin. You don't want to be like Netanyahu. You don't want to be like Trump. I'm going to say you don't even want to be like Obama. Like none of these people are really like exciting to me. You want to fucking break boundaries. And like, yeah, he was, he wasn't like, that's why we didn't know his name because I think like for everyone, like his, the people of Russia knew his name. That's for fucking sure. That's who you want to be like. Um, and the third article I took from Al Jazeera because they had the guts to write fucking brutally murdered right in the headline. And I really loved that for them. So this is from Al Jazeera. Uh, brutally murdered. World reacts to Alexei uh, Navalny's death in prison. Um, and they spell his first name differently in this article. I don't know if that's like I never understand when like it's a translation when they actually spell someone's name differently because like your name is your name. But anyway, um, uh, I don't understand that. Uh, leaders say Putin critic paid for his courage with his life and that they hold Russia responsible for his death. Imprisoned Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny uh, has died after collapsing and losing consciousness in the remote penal colony north of the Arctic Circle where he was serving a long sentence, the Federal Prison Service said. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said on Friday that Vladimir Putin has been briefed on the death of Navalny, a fierce critic of the Russian president, which is so hilarious to write. Yeah, he was briefed. Uh, Putin did it. He was briefed on it. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's like it. That's like on. Um, 
<laughs> that's like on in true crime where when like the murderer is in the room with the cops and they're like explaining what ha- happened or they or they say your husband's been killed and it's like the woman who paid to have her husband killed and then she has to fake react to the death that's what's happening with Putin here really fucking crazy um all right. Uh, Kira Yarmish, a spokesperson for Navalny, uh, said his lawyer was on the way to the IK3 penal colony located in Karp in the Yamala Nenets region. Uh, all right. Navalny aide Leonid Volkiv said Russian authorities published, quote, a confession that they killed him in prison. Maria Zakara. Zakharova, the spokesperson for the foreign uh, Russian foreign ministry, wrote on her Telegram channel that the West has already arrived at conclusions without forensic evidence. Yeah, of course. She said the immediate reactions in the form of direct accusations against Russia are self-revealing. Are they? Uh, Ukraine. President uh, Zelensky said Navalny was obviously killed by Putin. Speaking from Berlin, where he was signing a security deal with Germany, he added that Putin does not care who dies as long as he maintains his position at the top. Who does that sound like? So many people. It sounds like Netanyahu. It fucking sounds like Trump if we had less laws to control people like this. Like, make no mistake, if Donald Trump was leader in any of these countries where killing was a little loosier, goosier, he would be doing it too. And I'm, there's killing happening here too. We're just hiding it better, I think. Um, uh, President Joe Biden said that he was not surprised but outraged at the news of Navalny's death. He bravely stood up to the corruption, the violence, and all the bad things uh, the Putin government were doing, Biden said. Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. A spokesperson later told reporters on Air Force One that the White House was calling for an investigation into Navalny's death. Vice President Kamala Harris, commenting on the Munich Security Conference in Germany, said Navalny's death, if confirmed, would be a further sign of Putin's brutality. Speaking before Harris, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said reports of Navalny's death underscore Russia's weakness and rot. His death in a Russian prison and the fixation and fear of one man only underscores the weakness and rot at the heart of the system that Putin has built, Blinken said. On the sidelines of the conference in Munich, Russia is responsible for this. European Council President Charles Michel said the Russian dissident fought for the values of freedom and democracy and made the ultimate sacrifice. The EEU holds the Russian regime for sole responsible for this tragic death. The Canadian Foreign Minister Melanie Jolie said that reports of Navalny gave his freedom in the hope of a better, more democratic future for the Russian people. Reports of his death are a painful reminder of Putin's continued oppressive regime, Jolie added. Uh, Jan Lepavsky, the foreign minister... Uh, uh, the Minister of Foreign Affairs wrote on X that Russia is treating its citizens like it treats its foreign policy. It has turned into a violent state that kills people who dream of a better future like Nemstov or now Navalny, imprisoned and tortured to death for standing up to Putin, he said, referring to assassinated Putin critic Boris Nemstov. That's uh, from the Czech Republic, that was. From France, Alexei Navalny paid with his life for his resistance to a system of oppression for French Foreign Minister uh, Stéphane Sejourn said on X, his death 
death at a penal colony reminds us of the reality of Vladimir Putin's regime. Sejourn said, expressing condolences to Navalny's family and the Russian people. In Germany, Chancellor Olaf Scholz uh, said Navalny paid for his courage with his life. Scholz recalled occasions when he had spoken with Navalny about the great courage that prompted him to return to Russia after recovering in Berlin from a poisoning attack. Like, yeah, he could be, he already survived death once. And then he said, come I'm coming back. I'm ready for more. He now paid for his courage with his life, said Scholz. In Italy, Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney said, if this feels like an SNL sketch now, I just see everyone like the camera, like panning to everybody and then being in a costume, um, said in a statement that Navalny's death was disturbing and served as a warning to the rest of the world. We express our heartfelt condolences and hope that full clarity will be revealed over this disturbing event, she added. In Latvia, Latvian President Edgar's Rinkovics said in a post on X, whatever your thoughts about Alexei Navalny as a politician, he was just brutally murdered by the Kremlin. I love some countries that, that they're just like, I, I am I'm Latvia. I ain't got nothing to lose. I'm just fucking going to throw just throw something at the wall and see what sticks. Um from NATO, Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said uh, he was uh, deep, deeply saddened and disturbed by the reports of Navalny's death. We need to establish all the facts and Russia needs to answer all the serious questions about the circumstances of his death. That was kind of a pussy response. Norway says the Russian government bears a heavy responsibility, wrote Espen Barth Eid, the foreign minister of Norway on X, adding that he was saddened by the news of Navalny's death in prison. Polish Prime Minister Donald Tusk has pledged to never forget forgive as someone who's part polish that's that sounds like a polish person speaking and i love the energy has pledged to never forgive those responsible for navalny's death in prison Alexei, we will never forget you and we will never forgive them. Sweden for, uh, Swedish Foreign Minister Tobias Billström said, if the dreadful news about Navalny is true, then it represents another terrible crime by Putin's uh, regime. The ruthlessness against Navalny shows again why it is necessary to continue to fight against author uh, authoritarianism. Uh, Prime Minister uh, Rishi Sunak from the United Kingdom uh, said this is terrible news as the fiercest advocate for Russian democracy Alexei Navalny demonstrated incredible courage throughout his life my thoughts are with it this is a thoughts and prayers UK you're just like America bullshit 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 Nobel um, winner Dmitry Muratov Nobel Peace Prize laureate Dmitry Muratov told the Reuters news agency that Navalny's death constituted murder the editor-in-chief of Russia's most famous independent newspaper, Novaya Gazeta said he believes prison conditions led to his demise um all right, so more uh we'll we'll keep following up on that, but just like what I like these, these these are once in a lifetime people, you know, people willing to die for the freedom of their country. And when I say like, you know, liberals need to be more pro-America, I do not expect you to be willing to die for your country. I actually think that ask is completely inappropriate, especially when it comes when when we talk about like you know, the military and how uh, it has been uh, packaged by politicians and people who would never send their kids um, to fight in a war that it is, um, you know, like, oh, sure, go die for us. This will be a noble death. Um, uh, I, I don't expect anyone to sacrifice their life for their country, but I expect people to be participating in some fucking way. You know, I I, I don't think that's too big of an ask. Um all right, moving on to Corinne Fisher's party topic of the week. It's my party and I'm 
Damn, you know what? The one part of being a dictator that I would like is I would have pictures of myself everywhere. I would I would canvas this that I would canvas the country in pictures of me and I would enjoy every second of it. Other than that, I wouldn't love the killing. Couldn't really get on board with that. This week's uh, Corinne Fisher party topic of the week is actually inspired by the new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, so it's like a minor spoiler alert. Um, yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, it's a minor spoiler alert a couple episodes in. Um, so if you don't want to ruin this season of Curb, I guess plug your ear holes right now. But on one of the episodes that has already aired on Curb, uh, Larry gets arrested for providing his friend with a bottle of water as she is waiting in line in Georgia to vote. And, you know, there's a lot of crazy things that goes on that go on with voter suppression, um, especially in Georgia. But I but I didn't like I didn't specifically know that you couldn't provide someone with food or water while they were waiting in line to vote. But I but just seeing it go down in the episode, I go, well, obviously, this has to be based on a real on real legislation on a real law. because it just ha- like I can just tell sometimes something happens in a show and you're like well it is a comedy but like I know this is based in truth so I immediately looked it up I said is it actually illegal to provide someone voting in line uh, waiting in line to vote with food or water and I got my answer this is from an article from August uh, of 2023 but it says it's from CNN, judge partially strikes down Georgia ban on giving voters food and water in polling lines um, and voter suppression, especially in poor uh, areas and areas with a lot of black voters, com- voter suppression, like put nothing past the government. And that's why, you know, people like Stacey Abrams have been um, doing so much incredible work to stop voter suppression, to make it easier for people to vote, to not have to have have people wait in, you know, two and a half hour lines in the scorching heat. Um, But anyway, a federal judge on Friday narrowed a section of Georgia election law that banned the practice of handing out food and water to voters waiting in line to cast ballots, as well as halted enforcement of a requirement that voters put their birth dates on the outer envelope of their ballots. Like, again, we see... um, like a, a bunch of stupid, pointless rules happening with voting, the same as we see with abortion, just little ways that they can fucking kind of get you and be like, this vote doesn't count. You're not eligible for this abortion, et cetera, et cetera. Can you even imagine? It's 2024. I'm saying you're not eligible for this abortion. What a world we live in. U.S. District Judge J.P. Boulay, great name, however, declined requests from the legal challengers of the state's 2021 election overhaul legislation uh, that he blocked aspects of the law that limited who could deliver an absentee ballot on behalf of another voter and that set restrictions on where ballot drop boxes could be set up. His ruling on so-called line warming allowed the ban to be still enforced in what he dubbed the buffer zone around a polling place within 150 feet of the building where ballots are being cast, but he paused enforcement of the ban in the supplemental zone or additional areas that are within 25 feet of a voter standing in line. Again, nonsense, 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 just like they do with um, abortion clinics. Central to his conclusion was the fact that, unlike the buffer zone's reasonable 150-foot radius, the supplemental zone has no boundary, he wrote. Again, nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. Any way to stop people from voting the way we want them to vote. 
In his decision on the outer envelope birth date requirement, Boulay wrote that the defenders of the provision did not present any evidence that absentee ballots rejected for failure to comply with the birth date requirement. Nonsense, 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 nonsense. Um, but I, it just kind of really shed light on the fact that, uh, oh, we think shit is not happening. Like, uh, you know, v- voter suppression isn't happening this blatantly. But to say, like, your friend can't give you a bottle of water, like, that is illegal. The fact that someone even made that up as a rule, that is crazy. And it is happening. Don't put anything past America. Man, we really do sometimes, oftentimes, go out of our way to be racist. Because you you know, like, that's fucking happening. That's a way to specifically in Georgia suppress black voters. No way around it. They're like, oh, no, if you forget a bottle of water and you're, you're going to wait here for two and a half hours in the scorching sun, we're going to make it impossible physically for you to vote. Anything we can do. Um, moving on to girl. girl. Mm. Just a little Trumpy Trump update. Like I said, we got to keep our we got to keep our eyes on this on, on this little rascal. This is from NPR. Trump faces some half a billion dollars in legal penalties. How will he pay them? This is a question that's been brought up to me a lot. How will he pay them? I'm not sure, guys. I guess he's going to put it on his tab. Former President Donald Trump owes legal penalties totaling hundreds of millions of dollars in two civil cases recently decided in New York, raising questions about how he'll pay the staggering amount. To short, uh, The short answer is that Trump, whose political persona is tied to his career as a wealthy businessman, will either pay himself or have other entities post bond on his behalf. On Friday, a New York judge hit Trump with a 300 and $55 million fine after the judge found the Trump organization had engaged in fraudulent business practices. And I know I just want to stop and say, like, I know, like, this show is about not being biased. And I'm pretty, I have been, you know, this year pretty outwardly anti-Trump. At this point to me, there are some times when a person does so much bad stuff that they are in the category of irredeemable. I do think Donald Trump has entered irredeemable. I think he entered it a long time ago, um, pretty much. Uh, I think at the end of the election where he lost to Joe Biden, I think that was where we're like, all right, this is 100% uh, done. I think more than many other left-leaning people, I gave him an extreme, fair chance and I was extremely open to him and uh to the to the point where I um I like had I I made enemies uh in my own like career and friend circles for how open I was to seeing what kind of a job Donald Trump would do so I really think I did my due diligence due diligence there uh, with being fair, with being open-minded, with not just throwing a hissy fit because the president that I voted for that I wanted to be in office didn't win. Uh, But at this point, um, I really think that you're unwell if you think Donald Trump is a fit leader, a good leader, um, has good ideas. And please feel free to email me at withoutacountrypodcast at gmail.com if you can make an argument for Trump. And I'm, this is not Trump versus Biden. I'm not, that's not the argument I'm having right here. I'm saying singularly Trump as an individual person and, and leader. Please tell me why it would make sense 
for him to be the president of the United States once again. Okay, because I really gave him a chance the first time. And even like throughout his four years, I really tried hard to not just any decision he made be like, this is a bad idea. And I am on record on this show of a few times I thought he had good ideas and I argued on his behalf. So I've fucking done my due diligence, but I am done with this man. I'm done. Um, uh, New York Attorney General Letitia James, whose office brought the case, said in a statement that when interest is factored in, Trump and other defendants owe more than $450 million overall, an amount which will continue to increase every single day until the judgment is paid, she said at news conference. Three weeks earlier, a New York jury ordered Trump to pay $83 million for defaming writer E. Jean Carroll, who accused him of sexual assault in the 1990s. All of that could put him over $600 million in penalties, says Jim Wheaton, a professor at William and Mary Law School who has studied corporate legal issues and Trump's finances. Even though Trump plans to appeal both rulings, he still needs to meet appeal bond requirements within 30 days of each verdict, Wheaton told NPR's Morning Edition. The Carroll about a week ago and so the 30-day appeal clock is running on that one he added both of these judgments have a potential impact on his cash the businessman turned politician has long boasted about his net worth which Forbes estimates at 2.6 billion dollars as of mid-February 2024 in a deposition Trump testified that he had about 400 million dollars in cash assets according to Wheaton a figure that matches other reported estimates he obviously has significant assets outside of that but the liquid assets would be the first thing that you dispose of Dan Alexander a Forbes editor who has tracked Trump's wealth over the years told NPR's all things considered and it doesn't Take a strong mathematician to understand that that's not enough to pay the penalties he's facing. How could Trump secure the funds? Well, as and if you saw online, he already sold sneakers. And honestly, I kind of like I kind of there's a part of me that wants a pair of those sneakers. Like, I don't know. I just like wanted a pair of the sneakers. It just seems like something as someone who loves to collect like I do needed. But I certainly don't want to give money to him. But then, like, if you're repurchasing it, you're just, like, purchasing it from someone who understood capitalism at its height and, like, thought ahead to get the sneakers. So either way, it's, like, a lose-lose. Ooh. What? So got a got a loophole for you. I figured you I knew when I started mentioning the Trump sneakers that Mike would chime in. That oh. was a if I I'm not a betting woman, but if I was, I would have just won a hundred dollars. Okay. I mean I left the room to scream because I was having a panic attack during the, the Georgia water conversation. So Why? Um because we covered it in like three episodes of this show. So? Um that it was that it was news because of curb just it made me want to rip my my hair out, but what through epi- three episodes in the show? I don't. You have to understand. I've been doing this show for years. I do mm-hmm. not remember. I know that we've talked about voter suppression in general, but I didn't specifically remember um, the like the the details of the suppression. Okay. I you can't expect me to remember all of this. I can remember barely can remember my own fucking set, Michael. <laughs> um. So the 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 way to do it in an ethical way. Yes. would be to buy up like 50 pairs and then for every other left-leaning person who thinks like you, you say, "All right, I'm marking it up 25, 50, 100%." Okay. Right? You're not giving any money to Donald Trump, any more money than is already given to Donald well, Trump. Well, any more. Yeah, initially you're still giving him money. Look, that money was getting there one way or another, like sure. his people were going to buy these up. Yeah. The markup that's here 
most of that money is going to pro women causes, pro uh, choice causes, the or, or you know. Sure, I think we should just steal them. Like we're find the warehouse <laughs> and steal them, right? I now like, we're talking. They were because they're thi- the thing is. Um, he, like Donald Trump's style, I'm, well, I'm more of a silver person than a gold person, but it, he, his style is so, uh, what's the word, like ostentatious, that I kind of like things he designs sometimes, right? Because they're so fucking tacky. Um, so I looked at the shoes and I was like, like if they were silver, not gold, I would have really loved them. But like I didn't hate them. Like they were very unique. Like if you're going to sell a pair of sneakers, fucking sell a pair of sneakers, you know? Um So the question of how Trump will pay the penalties is an urgent one. He basically has to put up or secure the cash for all of it in short order. Alexander explained, Trump has long sought to capitalize off his legal woes using the civil cases and the four criminal indictments he faces as opportunities to fundraise for his reelection and to argue that he is being politically persecuted. A lot of that money is going straight to his legal bills as Trump paid tens of millions of dollars to his various lawyers last year. Now, some of Trump's supporters are donating specifically to help him pay his $355 million fraud judgment via a GoFund me page created by uh, Elena Cardone, the wife of investor Grant Cardone. As of Tuesday afternoon, the fundraise just a uh, fucking wives always always wives certain type of wife that is always doing the most, but always for the worst outcome. Oh, God, just like Elena, like I I just know Elena Cardone is she just she has so much potential in her and why is she using it this way? Um, as of Tuesday afternoon, the fundraiser has pocketed nearly seven hundred thousand dollars and had also sparked backlash on social media. GoFundMe responded to those calls on Monday by saying the fundraiser is within our terms of service, and I think that's super fair, right? Like good on GoFundMe. You just because it's funding something that you don't agree with, that's not what Go GoFundMe is about. GoFundMe is about funding it's not go fund someone who leans left that's not what GoFundMe is if you want to start GoFundMe lean left fucking start GoFundMe lean left but it's like sometimes it drives me crazy I'm like do you not understand what America is about we we are about freedom and so freedom includes the freedom to do a lot of shit and to fund a lot of shit that you personally do not agree with Trump himself is also trying a novel route to raise money. The day after Friday's financial fraud verdict, Trump showed up at a sneaker conference in Philadelphia to unveil a line of golden high tops, the latest in a line of Trump-branded goods he has hawked over the years, including wine, steaks, and a board game. The Never Surrender High Top Sneaker, which Trump said had been in the works for over a decade, retails online for $399 a pair. And I mean, think of that in comparison to the fucking Kobe sneakers, which are gorgeous and are like 160. Further complicating matters, the judge in the fraud case placed what Wheaton described as three levels of restrictions on Trump's business practices. The judge approved the continued oversight by an independent monitor, a formal federal judge who basically has veto power over many Trump organization actions and require the Trump organization to hire a new compliance officer. He also temporarily banned Trump and his two eldest sons from leading their own business businesses or applying for financing from any institution that does business in New York. That obviously limits the universe of potential financers for things like the bond, but also for additional financing for any of the Trump ventures, Wheaton explained. 
<clears throat> what might the penalties mean to voters as far as what uh, as what Trump's hefty legal penalties as well as his ability to pay them mean for his 2024 bid for the White House Alexander doesn't think it will hurt his amb- ability to run a campaign he notes that Trump has put none of his own money into his campaign since 2016 despite being worth more than almost anybody else running for office the bigger question he says is what it means to voters Trump's sweeps of early Republican primary contests, as well as his sizable lead in nationwide polls, suggest that his supporters aren't deterred by his legal woes. But Alexander said, when you get into a general election, will people say, wait a second, this is a guy who owes half a billion dollars in legal penalties. Maybe he's not the right guy to run the country. I doubt that. That's the, like, Listen, if, you, if you've come this far and are still pro-Trump, I think there's almost nothing this man could do besides like beside I think the only thing at this point that Trump could do if people are if to to get a a person who's still pro Trump off the Trump boat is a video of him fucking a child would have to be leaked. I truly think that's the only thing. And it's already kind of been leaked like wasn't like the accusation that he like assaulted like a 12-year-old? Like that's already been le- like that was already leaked if I'm not mistaken. Like, because I mean, he has assault, a, a, a listicle of assaults up the wazoo, but I believe the youngest was like a 12 year old. But again, like, it would have to be like fucking foot, footage of him fucking a child. Um, yeah, uh, a woman who says Donald Trump raped her at a private uh, sex party when she was 13 years old. So 13, sorry, not, not tw- 13, almost a woman. Um, but yeah. So, so that, like, that is how, like, there is already a fucking allegation that he had, he raped a 13 year old and that wasn't enough. So, I mean, literally the only thing I think at this point is fucking footage of him fucking a kid. And it would have to be like a, like a six year old, six or under, I think, apparently is what it needs to be. And we need to have the actual video footage. And even then I'm sure everyone would be like, AI is taking our jobs. Uh, Trump, of course, also faces Dozens of criminal charges in four jurisdictions. He's scheduled to be back in a New York court for the first of those trials next month. Um, all right. So that's our little Trumpy update. Um, and uh, oh, as a reminder, oh, this just this article just made me think of it. I'm going to be on Fox News again this weekend uh, on Saturday. We're doing a live show. Uh, from 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and as a, like sometimes people like say like oh I like just first of all it's Fox News not Fox Fox News is a different channel, um, and like they do upload it to like their social media like their Facebook and stuff after I don't know if they have a streaming service like they do have a streaming service I don't know if Fox News specifically has one again I don't Fox not, Nation they have one right so are they streaming fo- the the programming f- from Fox News though on it. Like, you can watch it for free. The live programming? If you don't have cable. Yeah. Don't know. I'll check. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. But then I'm going to, so I'm going to be on that show again. Last time I did um, scream out in the middle of a show, um, I'm a liberal. So what, what will I do next this time? You know? I don't know. And again, like, I call myself a liberal gone rogue on here. But obviously, when I'm on Fox, we just have to say liberal because we don't want them to think that I'm on their side. I'm on no one's side. I'm on my side. Um, no, you need to sign in through a TV provider to watch live. On interesting. Fox. Okay, yeah, because a lot of people were like, I can't watch it. And it's like, okay, well, we get it. All right, let me try to – and again, uh, if this uh, goes off, I just wanted to uh, – this will go off in about a couple minutes, uh, the live stream, but continue watching on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. What else do I want to go? I have to – some of these 
we're gonna get off the docket um i wanted to do this one this is about from the about the james webb telescope i just think it's really interesting and um this has been going on since since last year if, if not before but i kind of just caught wind of it when i was you know talking to some people in la about you know anything other than ourselves which is what i really aim for when i'm on that fuck in that fucking city and this is from livescience.com the James Webb Telescope detects light from a small Earth-like planet and finds it's missing its atmosphere. Basically, the conversation that got me interested in the James Webb Telescope was that uh, – they were claiming that they had seen like city lights, like of another, you know, of another city through this telescope. Um, and then I started, you know, wondering like, could human life as we know it uh, exist on other planets? That's been a question that we've been talking about for a long time as a society. And like stuff like this to me seems so interesting. The fact that they saw lights of another city that we've never discovered, that we've never been to here on earth. Like that seems so interesting to me. And I just didn't really see a lot of people talking about it. Even when I looked up the articles, there was like one Fox news article about it, but I decided to go with live science because like, you know, I want to hear scientists talk about science. Uh, NASA's James Webb space telescope, measured the temperature of the Earth-like planet TRAPPIST-1b and found that it is too hot for humans and likely has no atmosphere. Five years ago, NASA's infrared Spitzer Space Telescope helped discover a family of seven rocky exoplanets orbiting the same star known as TRAPPIST-1. Now NASA's new infrared powerhouse, the James Webb Telescope, measured the temperature of one of those worlds, TRAPPIST-1b, in new research published in the journal Nature. The bad news, the Earth-like planet is uh, almost certainly uninhabitable. Astronomers used uh, the James Webb Telescope's mid-infrared camera called MIRI to look for the planet's thermal emission, think heat-sensing Terminator vision. They found that TRAPPIST-1b is scorching about 450 degrees Fahrenheit about the temperature of an oven, and that is uh, that it likely lacks an atmosphere. I like how they had to tell us that that's the, that's the temperature of an oven, like you've, you've never made a French bread pizza before. A thing that you can famously change the temperature of. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, like 450 is like the most common temperature for frozen foods, I suppose. But like, what? Uh, this discovery is another record-breaking first for the James Webb Telescope, which has been steadily producing newsworthy results since its launch. This is the first detection of any form of light emitted by an exoplanet as small and as cool as the rocky planets in our own solar system, NASA officials said in a statement. No previous telescopes have had the sensitivity to measure such dim mid-infrared light. Thomas Green, a NASA astrophysicist and lead author of the new work, said in a statement. The initial discovery of the seven TRAPPIST-1 exoplanets spurred great excitement in the uh, astronomical community since all of the distant worlds are about the size of Earth and are located in their star's habitable zone, the region that's just the right distance from a star for liquid water to exist on a planet's surface. This system is a great laboratory and the best targets we have for looking at the atmospheres of rocky planets, study co-author Elsa Ducrot, an astronomer with the French Alternative Energies and Atomic Energy Commission, said in a statement. Don't get too excited about a new world for humans yet, though. The TRAPPIST-1 planets are out of our current reach at a whopping 235 trillion miles away. There's also, they're also orbiting a star much smaller and redder than our sun, known as an M-dwarf star. 
There are 10 times as many of these stars in the Milky Way as there are stars like the sun, and they are twice as likely to have rocky planets as stars like the sun, Green said. These abundant M dwarfs are obvious targets for astronomers seeking habitable planets, and it's conveniently easier to observe rocky planets around these smaller stars. There's one catch, though. M dwarfs are much more active than our sun, often flaring and spewing high-energy rays that could be damaging to budding extraterrestrial extraterrestrial life or to a planet's atmosphere um all right there's a little bit more but i think that's all that's all we need for from that again i just like think like sometimes it's like the most interesting things that are going on in the world are things that like kind of no one is talking about i guess because they don't have an immediate um impact on our day-to-day life and you know i guess worrying about extraterrestrials and space is when you really think about it a luxury and most people have to just like think about how to get through the day but I also think part of that is pretty um you know like if you're gonna learn about something learn about that um Danny Masterson getting fucked up in prison you know is that a story we don't really need to give him any more time I on this show I hope he fucking why Rocks. can't we have some bright news on a bad day? Oh my god, it's not a bad day. I don't think this. Is, I don't think it's a bad day. I thought the. I thought the space news was exciting. Didn't you hear what they're finding Trump for? Um. What? What do you mean? I'm, I'm kidding. That's oh. my bad day. Oh. I was like, what? Is there more things? I was like, is there breaking news? Um. All right. Just in short, uh, Danny Masterson is on the move again. Uh, he was in the maximum security prison in California that once held Charles Manson. Um, and he has now been moved to California men's colony. That sounds like exactly where a rapist should be. Uh, a male only state prison located in San, uh, San Luis Obispo, California. Um, and it says that they can't, uh, disclose information about the reasons for his transfer, but sounds like he was butt fucked, you know. <laughs> Clip that. <laughs> no, please don't. Uh, this guy just fucking sucks, and I'm glad he's in jail. All right. That's also how he's surviving in jail. Yeah. Oh, I'll show you that '70s show. You can do '70s style porn because you would have a lot. You would have a lot of extra growth. Um, all right. So this last topic that I want to talk about before I read one letter from um, a listener to end the show is this. So my friend, uh, the comedian Adam Strauss, I just was flipping through Instagram reels and I saw him talking about this thing, this concept called excess deaths, right? Basically like every year as a society, we kind of know approximately how many people should die, especially younger people? Um, like, what is the what is a normal amount of people to be dying? You know, and we're talking about like you know not when things like COVID nineteen are happening. And apparently, like last year, there was still like this really excessive number of excess deaths. Like we were experiencing as a society excess deaths. And I tried to look a little bit more into this concept and there wasn't just, there wasn't like a lot of trusted sources really talking about it in his video. He kind of says like, we don't really know why or what's happening. But again, it just feels like something like if an excess of young kind of white collar workers are dying, like shouldn't we be thinking a little bit more about why this is happening? 
Um, let's see this. Like this. These are both from 2023. One's from October and one's from June. Uh, this is from fortune.com. So like kind of, I guess this is reputable enough because the other one was from Washington Examiner, not to be confused with the Washington Post, much different. Um, from fortune.com, it says, we're still learning just how badly America handled the pandemic. Excess deaths jumped nearly 85% in three years. So I guess they're, they're maybe they're claiming that it's uh, that it's be still like results of COVID, but it also seems like they're unclear of like what is actually happening. Um, that's from that. And then Washington Examiner says, what's behind this, the spike in deaths among younger working people? Life insurance data shows a massive spike in excess deaths among younger working age people that began in 2021, even as COVID-19 deaths decreased and continues today. So far, good explanations are elusive. A concerted bipartisan investigation should explore this threat to America's economic future and recommend a course of action. A report by the nonprofit Society of Actuaries found that 34% more 35 to 44-year-olds died than expected in the last three months of 2022. More deaths occurred among white-collar versus blue-collar workers. The organization also reported a sudden jump in employee deaths in the fall of 2021. Independent sites aggregating Centers for Disease Control and Prevention data confirm these trends. According to U.S. mortality, excess deaths in September 2021 among 25 to 44-year-olds were 70% above normal. That number has thankfully dropped, but as of May 2023, the most recent month for which data are available, deaths in this age group remained 10% above expected. Among people under 25, it was 16% above normal. Uh, the Society of Actuaries maintains that COVID-19 does not fully explain these deaths, so what does? Experts have posited all sorts of theories from rising obesity rates to extreme heat to lagging effects from lockdowns to wider alcohol abuse. That's interesting because I would actually argue that especially in the lower end of that range, like uh, zero proof culture is very hot right now. And I know a lot of people, a, a lot of um people's addictions uh, really soared during COVID, but I just don't see, especially as someone who is in a field where alcohol abuse is rampant, I don't really see that happening. Actually, more people than ever um, are like stopping drinking in, in my social circles, which would be in this age range. Um, and New York is a fucking big drinking culture, especially because we don't have to fucking drive, right? Uh, these possible contributors deserve careful consideration given the sheer number of COVID-19 vaccine deaths reported to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, more than 36,000 uh, 36, to date, the possible role of vaccines should be examined too. I know that makes my cabbie. Virtually everyone agrees that COVID-19 vaccines carry risk. The debate is over the frequency and intensity of harm, with the CDC recommending an updated vaccine for everyone six months of age and older. I mean, I would not recommend getting in. I'm done with COVID vaccines. Um, and and I had multiple. Um, uh, and older, it's time to reassess this delicate balance. If even a fraction of the deaths resulted from vaccination, we should want to understand the trend to help people accurately weigh the benefits and risks. And keep in mind, this is from the Washington Examiner. So not the most reputable source. But again, sometimes... Um, like something is happening and I need to get some kind of some kind of 
uh, journalists talking about it. Um, let's see. Um, and then the fortune goes into why it matters. Uh, rising living standards and medical advances through the 20th century have made it possible for people in wealthy countries to live longer and with a better quality of life. Given that the U.S. is the largest economic power in the world with cutting edge medical technology, Americans should have an advantage over other countries in terms of lifespan and death rates. But in the last 50 years, many countries around the world have outpaced the U.S. and how fast death rates are declining as revealed by trends in life expectancy. And I think that that that, that piece about um, obesity in the Washington Examiner is very interesting when they're kind of spitballing reasons that this might be because, uh, you know, a, a, a extreme heat would be something that the right in America doesn't want to talk about because it would obviously have to do with um, environmental issues that they like to pretend don't exist. And then obesity would be something that the left doesn't want to talk about because they like to pretend that um, uh, every – you know, they're so they're so caught up in talking about how everybody is beautiful that they're not talking about the fact that like it you there are just certain weights that are unhealthy and that you the body can't hold those weights. And like I don't it is it, we're not talking about beautiful or not beautiful. That's not that's not the discussion we're having. The discussion we're having is do you want to live? Um Let's see. Life expectancy is an average age at death, and it represents how long an average person is expected to live in cur uh, if current death rates remain unchanged throughout that person's lifetime. Life expectancy is based on a complex combination of death rates at different ages, but in short, when death rates decline, life expectancy uh, increases compared to about 20 other high income countries since around the mid 1970s. The U.S. life expectancy has been slipping from about the middle or median to the lowest rungs of life expectancy. So the relative stagnation uh, in life expectancy in the U.S. compared with other countries is direct related to the fact that death rates have also declined more slowly in the U.S. The U.S. has higher death rates than its peer countries due to a variety of causes. Cardiovascular disease prevalence has been an important driver of life expectancy changes across the globe in recent decades. But while death rates from cardiovascular disease have continued to decline in other parts of the world, those rates have stagnated in the U.S. Part of it is because, um, yeah, we're a very stagnant culture, a lot of like computer work not a lot there's very few states I mean where you're gonna go and they have a real like obsession with outdoors that's why places like Colorado and California to me really stick out because those are places where people really get out on the weekends and do physical things um and also you know the FDA approves things that are, you know, for us to consume and, and to be sold in the supermarket that are fucking illegal in other countries. Our cheeses, our breads, all these kind of processed foods are just not available in other places and they're killing us. Um, and then, and then fortune.com also says a key reason for this trend is the rise in obesity. So again, Oh, this, you know what? I am not happy that people are dying, but I am smug as fuck over the fact that for years on my fucking pro fucking women podcast, the one fucking thing I will have never gotten behind is body positivity because it is fucking killing people. And I fucking knew it was. And as someone who has been overweight, um, very overweight and has felt how terrible I felt and I was fucking dying from my autoimmune disease and I was like this is not normal and I went to a billion fucking doctors because I was like this I cannot be this size my five foot three and a half frame cannot hold all this weight I am so tired I am not living um 
I'm not living properly. My body isn't working properly. And man, do I feel vindicated right now. It's fucking killing us. And I knew it fucking was. Um, and it's and it's also, again, look at the, uh, the uh, health.gov or whatever the fuck it is. The information is available. Not only is it killing us, it's also... Um, it's a, again, I'll back it up. It's a racist sentiment because it's also killing um, people of color at a higher uh, rate. So it's shitty all the fucking around. So if you want to play that fucking game of inclusivity and everything uh, with me, you're, you're, if you believe in body positivity and you're shouting that, especially if you yourself are thin, you're, you're a racist. Okay. No way around it. You're just a racist. Um, yeah, as the research shows that obesity increases uh, the risk of death from cardiovascular disease, high prevalence of obesity in the U.S. also likely contributed to the relatively high death rates from COVID-19. Again, anytime someone young died of COVID-19 and it was reported, I looked it up every time they were overweight. Every time. Every time. Because I was, because, you know, in that time when we didn't know what was happening, you're kind of constantly thinking, fuck, am I, am I really at risk of dying? And I go, nope, I'm not. Um... Uh, another cause in the U.S. that U.S. has disproportionately high death rates from intentional injuries in the form of homicides, mm, guns, okay, in particular those caused by firearms. Moreover, it also has high death rates from unintentional uh, injuries, in particular drug overdoses. So it's all shit that we're doing to our we're, – we're dying because we're pretending obesity isn't a problem anymore because we refuse to pass uh, gun laws and because we refuse to do anything about um, the drug crisis in this country. So it's all, all all things we know and all things that are solvable, but we're not going to solve them. We're just going to keep arguing about shit. Um, while other specific causes of death should be clearly be health policy priorities today, there might be more fundamental causes to the elevated U.S. death rates. In the early 1990s, young people in the U.S. between the ages of 15 and 34 were already dying at higher rates than their peers in other countries from a combination of homicides, unintentional injuries, in large part from uh, motor vehicle accidents and deaths from HIV and AIDS. Research is underway to understand the more fundamental societal causes that may explain the vulnerability of the U.S. population to successive epidemics from HIV, AIDS, and COVID-19 to gun violence and opioid overdoses. These include <clears throat> racial and economic inequalities, which combined with a weaker social security net and lack of health care uh, access for all, may help explain larger health and death disparities compared to Europe European countries. And that is why I get so mad because the people speaking, you know, the most loudly about body positivity is always some fucking skinny white chick um, who's like, oh, my God, I'm beautiful. Okay. Then you get fat. You fucking do it. All right. Not good. Not good. It's not about not being beautiful. It's not about not being lovable. It's about it, there's a re, like something is wrong. Something is wrong in our food. Something is wrong in the way we live. Something is wrong in the, with the medicine we take. You, you, you don't just be oh, like you don't just get overweight. It's very that's very there's things that happen and it's not OK. And it's not your it's not necessarily like 100 percent your fault. Like the FDA shouldn't be approving half of the shit that we that we consume. But, like, to pretend it's not an issue is crazy, crazy. And now we're, we're finally seeing the results of our fucking crazy behavior. Um, last thing is someone wrote me an email about who knows Michael Rubin. Again, reminder, CEO Fanatics. 
and confirms he's a monster. And thank man, thank you so much for writing me because boy, did this bring me joy. This is I'm ending the show with this is my moment of fucking zen. When I got this email that said Michael Rubin is a monster, man, did I feel vindicated. All right. Hi, Corinne. Longtime fucker and wacko here. If you read this on air, please keep me anonymous as I'm about to shit talk a company a lot of my friends and family still work for. I love this. I love the intel. I always love listening to this podcast every week and feel passionate about a large portion of the topics you cover. But your enemy of the state, Michael Rubin, on episode uh, uh, 212, the Amazon of sucking hit a nerve. I worked for Fanatics Corporate in Jacksonville, Florida for five years, and the things I saw there terrified me. Internally, they have always said they are going to be the Amazon of sports. That was the goal, and the way they are doing it is just as dirty as the way Amazon did. Every year, we have to take antitrust training to make sure we don't say fanatics was a monopoly or agreed when others said it, etc. I'm not sure if that's common in corporate America, but that's the only company I've ever had to do that for. Fanatics is taking over the fan gear market at an outrageous pace. They signed deals with all the major leagues that made them the sole producer of licensed fan gear for each league, meaning no other companies get rights to use those licenses without Fanatics say so. In my opinion, this has made the fan gear uh, apparel assortment in the market so much worse. Limited brands means more limited styles, limited fits, but most importantly, limited distribution and product availability. When Fanatics poorly projects inventory needs, which they do often, (laughs) we run into issues like having no men's size large black t-shirt blanks for a season. They'll never admit to this, but I think this is why every year the Super Bowl champions apparel assortment is all gray. These licensing rights have taken so much business from so many companies and they have to beg plead and pay to get rights fanatics strong arms exclusive rights all over the place which is leading to everyone having shitty products to choose from outside of the business michael rubin must have realized when meek mill was in prison that there this is an opportunity for power in being friends with celebrities rubin had fanatics production facilities shift gears from making products uh, for the brand to making free meek hoodies and t-shirts he gave away to celebrities all over with giant fanatics logos on the sleeves. That was the beginning of the company's initiative to make the brand name itself more recognizable. Hmm, interesting. This is also racist. Um, He began hanging out with Philly-based celebrities in the public eye often. He would go to Sixers games with Meek Mill and Lil Uzi Vert. uh, Sorry, I said that in a really weird cadence. Lil Uzi Vert, both from Philly and eventually Kevin Hart. He would vague. So, you know, just like, I mean, this is just corporate 101. Some fucking dorky white guy with money, um, like using black celebrities to change his perception in the business, to buy him street cred. Um, just had to make to make himself richer. Um, he would vacation with major uh, Sixers players like Joel M- Embiid. Uh, I feel I Joel felt. Embiid. I'm sorry. What? Joel Embiid. Oh, Joel Embiid. Good. Oh, <laughs> I said it in the whitest way possible. Hilarious. Um, 
I, I sorry, I just don't know any players on the Sixers. It felt like he was thirsty to make friends with as many black celebrities as he could. That is until he got big enough to make friends with Kim Kardashian. He would often have a uh, celebrity friend join a company town hall as if to show off his connections to employees. It always felt weird to me. The last thing I want to mention, uh, if you take, a, and this is interesting, if you take a close look at his um his and his daughter's Instagram account, it feels very creepy. She can't be more than 16 years old. And I didn't fact check how much his daughter, can you look how old uh, Michael Robin, Rubin's daughter is if it says, she can't be more than 16 years old and yet she's always photographed laughing and whispering with different major rappers like Drake. This is 100% speculation, okay? So just keep in mind, this is speculation. This is the gossipy part of it. But I get the feeling that if Drake wanted to fuck his daughter, Rubin wouldn't object. Shots fired. And this right here, guys, this, if you own a fucking business, this email should, you should, you should play this every morning when you get up before you go to work. This is why, and it's not the only reason, but if you want to talk about why you should treat employees nicely from a fucking personal selfish standpoint, this is why. Because if you don't, if you treat people like shit, they're going to write emails like this. And you never know what big mouth desk this email is going to land on. And this one landed on my big mouth desk. And I am so happy it did. Uh, in summary... I agree with you that Ruben is a monster stepping on the little guy, but he's just one of many in today's world. Unfortunately, the next, the next Jeff Bezos rip to the small business industry. Thanks so much for providing great content, both here on guys. We fucked. We have, you have taught me so much over the years. Thank you. Keeping you anonymous because I, uh, God, this is so insidery. This reminds me of the day of the days when I would meet fucking people who met Justin Bieber in hotel rooms anonymously and they would tell stories for um, Two Less Lonely Girls, which I have done and which was so fucking funny uh, and fun. And God, I... Uh, if I had more lifetimes, I would continue doing that. But I think stuff like this is much more important. I, I live to be an investigative journalist. Um, did you look how old Michael Rubin's daughter is? Uh Six, her sweet 16 was last year. She just turned 17. Okay. All uh, right. Her Instagram has been shut down. Oh. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Like, like private or just completely non-existent? Uh, I clicked on a thing where he tagged her Instagram, and it says this page isn't available. What does Michael Rubin's Instagram look like? I actually didn't look at it. I was so I was so obsessed with this. Uh, um, um, I mean, a lot of pictures with famous people. Yeah. Mostly. There's his daughter's on Front Street, girl dad. If you say girl dad one more time. But I mean, here she is. I mean, here he is with her with uh, with NBA players. How embarrassing! He's this, he's like the same height as his teen daughter. This guy. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you guys. I don't mind a short king, but man, do I hate this guy. And he's also the top type of guy that you know being short kills him it kills him and i love that i love that michael rubin i wish nothing but the, but the worst for you i will continue uh god i just you know it, it's at the point where i'm so petty i think i'm just gonna like continue to succeed really just to publicly continue to stick it to michael rubin like that will bring me such great joy um all right, guys, that is our episode for today. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. My apologies to Joel Embiid. He's Cameroonian. He's a Cameroonian basketball player. I um, uh, hope the Knicks start, you know, winning games again. 
And uh, yeah, that's our show. Please follow me on uh, all social media at Philanthropy Gal. You can follow Without a Country podcast on Instagram. And again, no matter how you listen to the show or watch the show, make sure you're subscribed to Without a Country uh, podcast on YouTube. And again, I do recommend every now and again taking a peek because the visuals, I think, make the show a lot more complex, but I understand a lot of you are driving and that is why you have time to listen to podcasts because you're in the car. Um, yeah, that's, that's the show for today. Come see me in Washington, D.C. at the D.C. Comedy Loft, February 29th through March 2nd. And check me out on Fox News Live uh, Saturday night with Jimmy Fela from 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time should be a wacky good time. I love you very much. Seek the truth always. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.